boring. It's good to be standing in front of you again this morning. Um, I I wish you guys could get get this view more often. It's a it's an encouraging, uplifting one. And Dave, as I look out in the audience, really uh, very very uplifting to see you here again. And I I know you don't like spotlight or me uh, speaking on you, but the Lord has answered prayers in your life like he's done in all of our lives, but you specifically with that knee replacement. So um, praise the Lord that you are here. <clears throat> you heard our... Uh, A scripture reading, and I'm going to go over those just briefly here. The first one was from Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and it says, and it said, maybe I'll, I think I may have it up here. Yeah. It says, and you picture this in your mind, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, And the Spirit of God moved on the face of the waters. And then verse number 3 says, And God said, Let there be light. And what happened? Keep that in the back of your mind. There's power in the Word of God. We already know that. I'm not telling you anything that you don't already know, um, but let me reiterate uh, something that I'm going to talk about here in just a second, but I, I didn't pick this presentation today, so if you've got a bone to pick with somebody about it, you need to see somebody else. The power in the Word of God, very often we don't see it, we don't understand it, and certainly we don't use it. And that's a sad thing. Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1 and 2. Arise, shine, for thy light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. I heard people out there quoting. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people, but the Lord shall arise upon who? The Lord will arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. His glory shall be seen upon thee. Was anybody here for that sermon last week? Those people felt called by God, and his glory was shown through them, wasn't he? What a powerful message that was. It was one of the most disjuncted sermons I've ever heard, and I could hear the Holy Spirit speaking, bam, bam, in my ears. It was just powerful. And then God gives us the how. Zechariah 4, 6. This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, not by might, not by power, but by what? 
God hasn't given us a directive in uh, Matthew chapter 28 without equipping us to do that job. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. So, um, would you like to, I know I, I usually do this when I'm up here, and I usually don't ask you, but I'm going to ask you this time. Are you kind of interested in how the sermon came to be? If you want to hear the details. <clears throat> so, you know, I, I don't know about everybody else that preaches up here, and I see two of our preachers sitting out in the audience, but I don't usually sit around and go, hmm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach this. I, I usually don't do that. You know, every now and then you don't come up with material, but I'm assuming that these guys aren't just preaching off the cuff. I'm preaching. They're, I'm assuming they're praying about it, and they're and they're studying, and they're thinking, and they're asking the Lord what He wants them to preach. Is that right, gentlemen? Is that, would that be a fair assessment? So I want you to know, and I'm not picking on these guys, but I want you to know that those sermons that you're hearing from this pulpit, and I know Pastor does the same, are not just willy-nilly. They're not just coming off the cuff. Now I, I look at what's going on in the world around us, and I'm thinking about some of those sermons, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, this is like one of those ships running over there in the Red Sea, and, and these uh, pirates are lobbing warning shells, trying to get their attention, hey, you need to stop, because I need to board you. Well, the messages we're hearing is because God's trying to get us attention, get our attention. It's not by accident that we're hearing this. Now, just keep that in the back of your mind as well. So I'm thinking about what to preach, and the parable of the ten virgins pops into my mind. And I've talked about the ten virgins from the front before, and the parable of the ten virgins just won't go away, so... I open it up and I look at it. And the message within a very short time is, I don't want you to preach on the Ten Virgins. I just want you to review it. So we're not even going to review it today. I'm going to leave that uh, to you. And I'm thinking then, what if, if I don't preach on the ten virgins, then what is it that you want me to preach on? And it's very clear, very clear. Within a couple of days, the message comes, you need to preach the parable of the sower. And usually when I go somewhere to preach something along uh, whatever lines it is, I usually look for questions that, kind of piqued my interest. Now you know I usually don't get up here and preach without giving you some homework. And I could call on somebody out in the audience because I gave you some homework uh, I don't know, a long time ago now, probably two years ago, uh, which involved reading Christ's Object Lessons and the Parable of the Ten Virgins. 
but I'm not going to do that today. So I know that you have forgotten it. If you're like me, you need to re-up the parable of the ten virgins. So that's one one portion of your homework. Second portion is from the Christ Object Lessons, chapter 1. very first chapter in the book is called Teaching in Parables, which is where one of these quick questions came to my mind. And if you read the chapter, and we're not going to spend time there because um, I haven't been led to do that. Um, it talks about Jesus teaching in parables. Right in the middle of the story of the sower, Jesus, the disciples say, hey, why are you teaching in parables? And Jesus tells them the answer. And Mrs. White in Christ Object Lessons expounds on that, teaching in parables. So let me encourage you, that's, uh, that's the second portion. By the way, um, how many folks in here have the book Christ Object Lessons, if you'd raise your hand? So a good number of you. Uh, this is the paperback version, and um, it's, as all of her writings are, there is powerful, powerful stuff. So, um, today is going to be an outline sketch of that, that parable, the sower, and the amount of material that's in here is good for probably about six to eight months worth of sermon, just on that chapter alone. I'm not talking about the book. The book is, you can probably preach on this until Jesus comes. It's got so much good stuff in it. But the chapter on the parable of the sower is something that I'm not going to be able to touch on today in its entirety. You need to go back and look at it for yourself. If you haven't done it recently, let me encourage you. If you have done it recently, do it again. Mind-boggling would be a, a good term that comes to mind about the, the information that's in there. And I was talking about a couple questions that, that came to my mind, and one of those questions that comes to my mind comes from Matthew chapter 13. The disciples came to him and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? That's, that comes right out of uh, Matthew chapter 13, which is what we're going to study, but we're not going to touch on that. The other question that kind of comes to mind, and I've asked this one from the pulpit before, and I'm going to just do it again because I think it, it warrants uh, reiterating, and it comes from Matthew chapter 7, verse 18 to 23. And you're familiar with this uh, passage, I'm sure. It says, a good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit. Neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. That's Matthew seven nineteen. Anybody here want to be hewn down and cast into the fire? The symbolism is clear. Verse 20, a very famous text says, wherefore by their fruits, what? Yeah. This isn't just talking to Christians, right? This talks to everybody, anywhere, anytime. By their fruits, you shall know them. And then 21, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will 
of my Father which is in heaven. And verse 22, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, this is mind-boggling again, on that day at the judgment, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? So these are people that prophesied. These are prophets. And in thy name cast out devils. These are people that have cost, tossed devils out of human beings. You get in the picture. These are, these are not um, people that are not following God. These are people that are, you know, way out on the outskirts of Christianity. These people are here in the church. They're the leaders. They're the pillars. They consider themselves very similarly as the Pharisees. And, and the last question, in thy name done many wonderful works. And then verse 23, the saddest verse in this text says, and then will I profess unto them, I never knew you, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Does that mean that we shouldn't follow and believe the 28 fundamental beliefs of the Seventh-day Adventist Church? Does that mean that we should not be keeping the Ten Commandments? That, that the health message is not important for us? Is that, is that what all that means? Because we can do all that stuff, and we can prophesy, and we can cast out demons, but we get up there at the big desk in front of the judge, and he says, depart from me, he that work iniquity. It's not what we do, is it? Now, what we do is important. I'm not trying to take that away from us. But it's not what we do. Okay. You got your, oh, I didn't talk about the extra credit. Yeah, the ex, there's an extra credit. Uh, the chapter, it's chapter 23 in, in Christ's Object Lessons called The Lord's Vineyard. Powerful, powerful uh, chapter. And to get credit, you need to write a 500-word summary and then discuss it with me at later at some later junction. All right, so our, our discussion, our topic today, as I've just reiterated, is the parable of the sower. So if you have your Bible, you can open it with me to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, and we're going to begin in verse 1. <coughs> By the way, great children's story, Miss Tammy. Beautiful song and prayer, Ralph. Song. Song Ted, that was absolutely gorgeous. Uh, you guys couldn't see it from back there, but uh, Ted was reading those words off the screen, and the background of the screen was a picture of Jesus laying down as they were nailing his hands to the cross. And I started getting emotional uh, just thinking about that as he was singing. So. Verse 1, chapter 13, Matthew. <clears throat> the same day, 
Jesus went out of the house and sat by the seaside. And great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat. And the whole multitude stood on the shore. And you've got the picture, right? He, he was hanging out at somebody's place, and then he went out to teach like he did very frequently. And people kept crowding in and wanting to hear him. So he ended up getting in a boat and got away from the shore, and then they got on the, on the um, kind of little hillside, I guess, so they could hear him better and more people could come listen to what he had to say. And Christ's Object Lessons says that as Jesus was telling this story, and, and as he did very frequently, he told us in parables, and to understand better why, you're going to need to read the rest of the story, both in here and in Scripture. But Jesus was preaching or teaching these guys, and he looks out, and here are people sowing. They actually have a bag, they've got seeds, and they're casting. And everybody in that audience knew exactly what Jesus was talking about, exactly what he was talking about. There were high-learned people. There were, there were little kids. There were strata of all kinds, socioeconomically, and every one of them knew exactly what Jesus was talking about. Isn't that neat? Jesus can come talk to us. doesn't matter if you've got a Ph.D. in theology or whatever, or if you are two years old, you know or you can know that Jesus loves you. Is there anybody in here that wants, Jesus to, that wants Jesus to love them. Just raise your hand. Is there anybody in here who loves Jesus? Raise your hand. Come on, I'm going to pray right now. Father in heaven, you've seen the hands of your saints out here in the, in the crowd. We want to love you unconditionally today, Father. We want you to be lifted up high and holy because that's who you are and what you are. And you've shown us through your word what we need to do. You love us so unconditionally that you thought way back, we don't even know how long, about the things that would have to happen for you to come to this earth and sacrifice for us to understand this thing called everlasting life, eternal life. And you made that commitment, and then you came down and showed us how to do it. As we, as we study today, Father, may we fall in love with you again, just like Ted talked about. Let you come fill us and be who we need to be and what we need to be. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Verse <clears throat> Christ Object Lessons, page thirty-three, and verse one. I'm not. I have a bunch of these uh, quotes. I'm not going to use them uh, today. Well, I take that back. I may use one or two of them, but uh, this one here kind of jumped out at me as I was reading, and it says, because of its simplicity. The parable of the sower has not been valued as it should be. 
from the natural seed cast into the soil, Christ desires to lead our minds to the gospel seed, the sowing of which results in bringing man back to his loyalty to God. We know Satan is working hard to take us away from his loyalty, right? He's working very hard. You just take a look at the things that are available to us to distract us from, uh, from him and what he wants to do with us. Okay, verse 3. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, A sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them. Everybody knows this. They know the story, so we're just going to read it. Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprang up because they had no deepness of earth. Verse 6, and when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them, but other fell in the good ground. Finally, we're getting to the good stuff here. Others fell to the good ground and brought forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Now, all of us can't be Mark Finley and bring in thousands and thousands, right? Some of us can just bring in one. Whatever God uses you, picks you to do, that's the only thing that's important. It has nothing to do with numbers, right? Everybody knows that. We'll make sure that we're all on the same page. And then Jesus says, Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Okay. This parable is mentioned three times in Scripture. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And I've said this from the front before. God repeats himself when he's trying to get your attention. So apparently this is this is very important. And <clears throat> this is important enough that Jesus, in at least two of those versions, goes back and interprets what was going on. In uh, Luke chapter 8, verse 11, the Bible says, And now... The parable is this. So he's explaining what's going on. And he says, the seed is the word of God. We already knew that's common sense, right? Self-explanatory. Isn't it? That seed is the word of God. Yeah. Which means, who is it speaking this word? Who? Who speaks the word of God? God speaks it, right? He's the same God that commissioned us to go share this in in, uh, Matthew 28. And remember our text, when he speaks, things happen, right? I mean, I'm assuming nobody in here has spoken and had their car repaired. Nobody's spoken and 
healed one of their kids. But God can do that. That's the power that we are talking about and that we're talking to. And that power loves us unconditionally. This is the message of hope this morning, ladies and gentlemen. The God that loves us wants the best for us. And as he delivers the seed in our story, you know, some of it falls on the yeah, on the on the wayside, whatever that looks like. Some of it falls on the stony ground. Some of it falls in the thorns. But as he explains it to us, things are working a little slow this morning, Dave. Um. <clears throat> From Christ's object lessons, the word of God is the seed. We've just discussed that. Every seed, we think about seed, every seed has in itself a germinating principle. In other words, it's got DNA that allows it to replicate itself. In it, the life of the plant is enfolded, so there is life in God's word. And Christ says, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and what? They're spirit and they are life. They come from John 6, 63. He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. And this is the part that I highlighted. In every command and in every promise of the word of God is the power, the very life of God. We don't, you know, we, we were talking about it earlier, we don't recognize the power that comes with God's word. It's just just his word, right? No, it's just his word. His word is powerful. It's sharp as a two-edged sword. It can cleave. It can fix. And it's just sitting here by my bedside. You remember the sermon from last week? That guy told us that he was feeling so bad, he had, to, he had to come back from Guatemala. And while he's back, he starts praying, and he remembers that Mrs. White says it would be a good thing for us to spend a thoughtful hour contemplating the life of Christ, especially the closing scenes. This is, I don't know about you, but my hours are kind of packed already. Now, I can get up early and I can go to bed late. I can do those things to accommodate that. But God likes a fresh plastic mind. He needs to, he needs to be able to talk to me and have me hear and understand him. And that contemplative hour will change my life as it changed his life. You know, now, this guy doesn't know where he's getting his money from, but he's got people calling him from Africa. He's got people calling him from South America. Who knows where he's got people calling from because God is channeling that to happen. What a miracle. Those are miracles, ladies and gentlemen. If we are not experiencing that, then we are not spending time here in an appropriate, appropriate fashion. I, you remember, and it's been said by multiple speakers here, this message is for me. <laughs> you, know, you guys just get the benefits as well, but 
I'm not spending enough time in the Word. I spend a fair amount of time in the Word. But not nearly enough. Whatever that looks like, I don't know. For you, it may be different. For me, I can tell you, it needs to be different. God is the power, the very life of God, by which the command may be fulfilled and the promise realized. Man, nobody said amen. The very life of God by which the command may be fulfilled and the promise realized. Are we wanting to go to heaven? I had a lot of people raise their hand that they, they love Jesus and they want to love him, right? We have to have a relationship with him at an intimate level that makes the one that you have with your spouse or anybody else in your family look like chicken feed. He needs to know what we think about, hurt about, feel about. And in the same token, we need to know how he feels about what's going on. We should, you know, Jesus, when he was on earth, he knew what people were thinking because he had the discernment that God gave him. That guy needs to hear about me. You, you can't talk about that here because it may end up causing more problems. They knew. It wasn't just happen chance that that happened. They knew because God was right there with them, with him. He who by faith receives the word is receiving the very life and character of God. That's us. That is available to us. This is not just for Jesus and the, and, the, and the elders and the holy people. This is for everybody who's listening to this word. Another gem from Christ Object Lessons. If you haven't read it, pick it up and read it. And if you don't have it, just contact me. I will let you borrow mine. I'll get you one. God has important things to tell us, and we are missing the boat. I don't know about you, I don't want to miss the boat. Verse uh, 19. Oh, you guys probably think I'm skipping around, but I'm really not. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understand it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is the seed which he received by the wayside. <clears throat> this is the one quote that I, I absolutely have to read. And I'm not trying to step on anybody's toe. It may feel like that, but again, uh, right around this, uh, this is page 44 in Christ Object Lessons, but right around this quote are some other things that that hurt me uh, right where right where I live. I'm not going to expound on that, but needless to say, I'm influencing my family in a negative light from what she said here at this chapter. And my guess is that it's possible that you may be as well. Anyway. Dave, if you would. This thing is not cooperating with me. All right, next. Next page there. It's a little bit long, so bear with me. Christ Object Lessons, page 44. Satan and his angels are in the assemblies where the gospel is preached. Does that mean here, today, right now? While angels of heaven endeavor to impress hearts with the word of God, 
the enemy is on the alert to make the word of no effect. So we know the great controversy, right? With an earnestness equaled only by his malice, he tries to thwart the work of the Spirit of God. While Christ is drawing the soul by his love, Satan tries to turn away the attention of the one who is moved to seek the Savior. You know, sometimes you're hearing a word there from the front, and then a baby will cry or something will happen to divert your attention. That's not just happen chance, especially in this venue. He engages the mind with worldly schemes. He excites criticism or insinuates doubt and unbelief. I, I can just skip this. So it doesn't apply to us, does it? He excites criticism or insinuates doubt and unbelief. The speaker's choice of language or his manner may not please the hearers, and they dwell upon these defects. Thus the spirit they need, and which God has graciously sent them, makes no lasting impression. Verse 20, Matthew 13. But he that received the seed in stony places, the same as he that heareth the word, and anon with joy receive it. Yet hath he not root in himself, but doeth for a while, for when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, by and by he is offended. In other words, it's a very shallow root, and so when tribulation and trouble happens, he's gone. Love must be the principle of action. Love is the underlying principle of God's government in heaven and where? And it must be the foundation of the Christian's character. This alone can make and keep him steadfast. <laughs> wow. If you got issues with this quote, you can take it up with the author. This alone can make and keep him steadfast. This alone can enable him to withstand trial and temptation. The love of Christ compels us. Isn't that what the word says? Amen. It is by half-heartedness in the Christian life that men become feeble in purpose and changeable in desire. The effort to serve both self and Christ makes one a stony ground hearer, and he will not endure when the test comes. Yeah, it was hard to get up here and write this stuff down and preach it. It's hard to do that. The effort to serve both self and Christ makes one a stony ground hearer. So that's a, this is an easy fix, right? I just got to take me and go. Because if I focus on him, then I can. The implication is that I can endure when the test comes. 
He didn't come down here and die just so this right here would all be for naught. Right? 22. He also that receives seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word and the care of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, choke the word, and he become unfruitful. Grace can thrive only in the heart that's being constantly prepared for the precious seeds of truth. Are we constantly preparing our heart for the seeds of truth that God's trying to show us and share with us? The thorns of sin will grow in any soil. They need no cultivation but grace, but grace, but grace must be carefully cultivated. And, and finally, we get to the good stuff. Verse 23, but he that received seed into the good ground is he that receiveth the word and understand it which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some a hundred, some sixty, some thirty. And I'm thinking, yeah, that's me. Finally, we've gotten here. We've, I'm not the first ground, I'm not the second ground, I'm not the third ground. Here I am. Here I am there on that, that third ground, I mean that fourth ground. And the quote that I got that goes with that says, to those who in humility of heart Seek for divine guidance. Angels of God draw near. The Holy Spirit is given to open to them the rich treasures of the truth. The good ground here is having heard the word, keep it. Satan, with all his agencies of evil, is not able to catch it away. I'd like to share one more quote. I added this at the very last second on the way out the door this morning, actually. Um... It says, the honest and good heart of which the parable speaks, in other words, the, the good ground here, is not a heart without sin. Because all of us, it applies to. Is that correct? We're all sinners. For the gospel is to be preached to the lost. Christ said, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners, sinners to repentance. Mark 2. 17, he has an honest heart who yields to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. He confesses his guilt and feels his need of the mercy and love of God. He has a sincere desire to know the truth that he may obey it. Bow your heads with me, Father in heaven. Your word is powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. Sometimes we can't stand it. 
Sometimes it's hard to hear. Sometimes you say it to buoy us up because we need to realize our need of you, just how badly we need you. Father, I pray for a reformation in our hearts today and a revival, the likes of which haven't been seen since Pentecost. It would change our thinking and our focus and realize and recognize you as the only source of good in our lives. I pray that you would use this parable and the mighty words that you give to accomplish your purposes here in Tullahoma, in this church, and here in our lives. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Chuck, for encouraging us. And now will you stand with me as we sing our closing hymn, number 366, Oh, Where Are the Reapers? Are you ready to be called and counted amongst those?